Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Today, we talk about Pobo and Kobo. What is even that, you may ask? Pobo and Kobo are the acronyms for Payments on Behalf of and Collections on Behalf of. Who better than a former Treasury consultant who has implemented Pobo Kobo structures for clients to speak about this topic? Laurent Gurnitz was a manager in the treasury practice of a big four consulting firm and is now the global treasury leader at Punch Powertrain. Needless to say that he is a seasoned treasury professional with a tremendous amount of knowledge, in particular when it comes to in-house banks, treasury systems and Pobo-Cobo. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is Pobo-Cobo in the first place. What are the benefits for corporates to have such a structure? What are the restrictions to be taken into account? How to implement a Pobo-Cobo structure technologically, resources and location-wise? The type of structures Laurent has implemented when he was a treasury consultant, whether fintech can have an impact on the world of in-house banks and Pobo-Cobo, and much, much more. Laurent is amazing. He has such a deep understanding of complex treasury processes, structures, systems, and yet is able to break them down into very understandable manner. I really enjoyed our conversation with him. If you do as well, please consider leaving us a review. We got some amazing reviews lately on Spotify. And now that Hossam and I are tremendously grateful for that. This is the best way to help us, basically, along with sharing the episodes to the people you think might be interested. Last note, before diving into our fascinating conversation with Laurent, we are now on LinkedIn. If you would like to reach out, suggest a topic, ask a question, or simply say hi, we will be happy to have you. Just look for Corporate Treasury 101, that will be us. With all that being said, please welcome Laurent Gernens. Can you maybe start with uh, introducing yourself and explain us what you do? Hey, Guillaume, of course, absolutely. And uh, first of all, very happy uh, to be here and to be able to participate to uh, this podcast series. So uh, my name is uh, Laurent. I'm the corporate treasury manager of uh, Punch Powertrain. Punch Powertrain, it is a bit known in Belgium, let's say, but of course not outside of it. But shortly, we are the yeah, independent dynamic leader of innovative transmission and propulsion systems for automotive industries and mobility providers globally. Mainly focused, let's say, on uh, three types of transmissions, which is, first of all, the conventional transmission. Um, most of you know it because it's a transmission that's in your, your diesel car, let's say. But short, yeah, short while ago, of course, Punch Powertrain has been moving as well to hybrid solutions and then also to full EV solutions where we are, yeah, working on integrated drive units, power electronics, uh, reducers, and uh, those kind of items. So that was maybe very short what the Punch Powertrain does. But of course, if anyone would like to know a bit more, they can go to, uh, to the website. 100%. We'll put the, the link in the description. And just for my own curiosity, where do you, because so it's a little bit known in Belgium, but I guess this is, uh, the, the market is worldwide, right? Where are your activities exactly? It's it's a bit globally actually. There's a, a big portion in uh, in China, but there's also let's say a market in India, and we're working with uh, yeah with some joint ventures here in Europe as well. So we are really going uh, yeah very globally. And when I mention in detail, it's a bit known in Belgium. It's mostly because a a few years ago, uh, Punch Powertrain was the yeah, the enterprise of the year, and and that's why most people still uh, remember it. Awesome. Okay. Well, the topic of the day is um, not directly related to Punch Power Trend, but I guess your position uh, will allow you to, to say a lot about it. We would like to, to break down what Pobo Kobo is. So maybe to begin with, I'll just break down Pobo would mean payments on behalf of and Kobo collection on behalf of. That's more or less where my knowledge stops. So Laurent, can you enlighten us and explain us what Pobo means exactly? Yep, absolutely. As you already mentioned, POBO is the abbreviation of uh, payment on behalf of. Mm -hmm. And very short, it's actually where an entity, which will be mostly a central corporate, will perform a payment or it will pay an invoice to um, an external bank account. 
And the invoice that's going to be paid is mostly belonging to a subsidiary of the, the corporate's central entity. Okay. And so why would the company use this in the first place? Because it sounds like a bit of a, of a complicated scheme. Um, there are, let's say, a few reasons why you would use Pobo and, and Kobo, of course. So we can maybe split it up in what is the, the added value of, of Pobo, Kobo, yeah. what are the key drivers and what are the enablers. Um, okay. Starting with, with the added value, of course, it's uh, the fact that you can reduce the amount of bank accounts that are needed, which indirectly also means, of course, a cost, re a cost reduction of yeah, bank charges and general uh, overhead costs. Secondly, it helps with an improved cash visibility, because when you will pay from a more central account, you know, of course, what is going on in that account. You see more payments going out, you see for Kobo then payments going in, and it gives you a better cash visibility. Thirdly, we can also talk about, let's say, a better risk management and better centralization of control. If you centralize your payments, of course, you, you can also centralize your risk. And I'm thinking here about uh, FX risk, for example. If you have a, an entity in Belgium that has to make a dollar payment, there's no need anymore for every entity that has to make ad hoc uh, a dollar payment or a GBP payment to open a bank account in that currency. So if you have an INAS bank, which has a bank account in that currency, they can just make the payment for you, which makes it of course easier because then you can, yeah, the, the exposure that you have can also be managed centrally. And a fourth reason also I think worthwhile mentioning is that it can simplify operational processes. And especially if it's uh, well implemented, it allows for, let's say, technology simplifications and a lot of uh, scalability. That sounds like there are a lot of topics to tackle in there, Laurent. Amazing. Yep. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> maybe yeah. come back on one of the terms you mentioned uh, that I'm quite intrigued about, in-house bank. What, what, is, what is that exactly? Yeah, an in-house bank. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's very linked to Pobokobo. Mostly when you will do Pobokobo, there will be an, an Inas Bank setup behind it because you will make a payment in name of a subsidiary, but you want to track, of course, who you made the payment for. And that's mostly tracked on Inas Bank. And Inas Bank itself, it's mostly just, um, yeah, it's an internal bank, as we call it, but we have to be careful because it's not a bank in the, the classic sense. So it's only used for, for funds and it lends all the funds that it has available to its subsidiaries. And what is the benefit here compared to, let's say, a normal bank? It's also that there is um, no control of financial supervisor, supervisory authorities. So you see there that you can control all the cash within the group and it helps you to, to use the money more efficiently and also cheaper because the, the capital that you use is already belonging to the company. And you can easily lend it to a subsidiary without having to go to a bank. So there's no need for all the bureaucratic setup. Uh, you can just say, okay, I'm, let's say, a US corporate. I have a Belgian entity. I need 300K. Goes a lot quicker than having to go to your bank in Belgium, say, I need this loan. Can I use it? What is the interest rate? Your treasury, which is managing that in-house bank, they know the financial situation of the subsidiary and they can react very quickly to your request. Also, the rate that you can ask for it might be a few percentage points lower than when you go to your bank. You, you cannot ask whatever you want, of course, because there's the, the arm's length principle and the, the transfer pricing, but it just allows you in a quick way to get at a lower cost um, the loans that you need and so on. Okay. What do you mean with arm's length exactly? And transfer yep. pricing? What are, what are those terms? Yeah, of course. First, looking maybe at, at arm's length. In, in short, the definition of arm's length is actually just saying that we're going to compare it to something else and we're going to see what we are using is the same as our benchmark. And that benchmark, it can be, it can be a lot. Of, mostly in, uh, yeah, in the treasury world, it's compared to deposit rates. It can be uh, a yield curve. It can be lending rates published by a central bank. But basically, we need to be in line with the benchmark. That's the okay. arm's length nature, which is just to avoid, of course, that when you have an interest rate in the market of 4%, that you will borrow money to your sub for free. There's also a lot of tax reasons behind that, but that makes it, I think, yeah, already really complex. And it might even be good to have a, a separate uh, series specifically for the, the tax backgrounds. 
Now it's uh, it's encored law. You said it, so um, now we'll receive probably an invitation for another episode on arms length. Well, and to be honest, I don't know uh, tax wise in arms length. <laughs> I'm uh, the best, but that's, <laughs> of that's course not always it. very happy to help. <laughs> but so uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, there was there was no control or supervisory authorities when it comes to enhancement, which is super interesting. I'd like to dig into this, but to a certain extent, uh, especially regarding the arms length. You have, right? You need to apply more or less the same pricing. So instead of having a product that you contract with your bank as a corporate, you contract it internally. So one entity of the group will contract a product with another other entity of the, of the group. But the pricing needs to reflect more or less market practice, not to have like, I guess, unfair competition within the company or something like this. Do that make sense? Correct. Yeah, not correct. And also not only within the company, but just globally. It needs to be in line with what is really happening in the the market. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. And um, you mentioned capital. Does that mean that the in-house bank, uh, I'd like to dig a little bit into this as well, but the in-house bank in the end is limited in terms of capital to the cash that the company has then. If like it acts at its, as its own bank, but is only limited by the amount of cash it has, right? Or how does it work? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's right. Um, well, actually, yes and no, to be honest. Let's first start with, again, with Tina's bank quickly. Uh, Bobo Kobo is a part of it, but it goes a lot, a lot further. You can also put um, cash pooling in place mm. where you will centralize all the cash within the group. So basically entity A, B, and C have excess cash. They will give it to the Inas bank, so to the header and company D needs cash. And that money can be used to, to lend it to company D. Of course, you can also go for external cash. The Inas Bank itself, if really needed, they could go to the market and say, okay, uh, I need cash as well. And then they can borrow and use it internally. So it, it just gives the opportunity to, to centralize all the processes and to make sure that there's less exposure to the, to the outside world. Instead of 20 different subsidiaries going to the markets, you have basically one central point which goes to the market, which gives it yeah, a lot more leverage. Yeah? I, I mentioned already like Pobo Kobo reduces the amount of bank accounts and costs. Yeah. She can go to a banking partner, to your, let's say, your cash management bank, and you can say, okay, instead of having in Belgium an entity with 10 transactions and in uh, the Netherlands one with 20, yeah, you can go with the Holiness Bank uh, to your partner and say, okay, this will be the volume and you will get better pricing than you would get as an individual uh, entity. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Hence the dimension of leverage. And... Last point you mentioned was, um, I mean, one of the first actually, was the fact that it's tracked in the in-house bank. Does it mean there is a kind of software or does, do people like manually uh, write down on the paper, okay, I'm making a payment uh, on behalf of this entity? How, how does it work here? You can write it down manually, but uh, <laughs> it would take a lot of time. Without <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but no. digits, so, uh, so, no. Okay, so you need to... You need to have, let's say, um, already a good size for uh, an Inos bank to really be worthwhile because oh. it needs to be managed, it needs to be set up. Mostly it's maintained indeed by, uh, by systems behind it. And what's important is that, yeah, you will have several systems that need to, to intertwine with each other. Oh. Mainly when you think about it, um, we think about a, a payment factory to execute your payments. You think about a TMS, the TMS can, can capture, for example, the positions, can help executing the payments before it goes to the payment factory. It can manage your fixed exposure, your interest rate exposure, and so on. And thirdly, and preferably as well, there's an ERP system. So you can, in your TMS, you mostly have, let's say, a accounting module that can support you. And what is mostly seen in the market is that actually that TMS is creating the accounting entries or making some pre-bookings, which then get interfaced to an accounting system. So you have several systems working together to facilitate and to automate the process. Okay. And the purpose of all this is probably to enable the tracking of all the payments that are made on behalf of other entities so are, that are going from source that is in the first place not meant to be, but I guess from a tax and regulatory perspective, it's allowed. And like this, you can reconcile properly who made what payments on behalf of whom. And then on top of this, you have probably current accounts or how does it work in terms of like, okay, we made the payment on behalf of this entity, but the cash left from this bank account. So how does it work here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. As you mentioned, it's indeed, it's like the header paying. So doing uh, a proper transaction in name of the subsidiary. Yeah. And that transaction then is reflected on a current account 
Or it can also be, let's say, a virtual account. Okay. And virtual accounts are a lot used for, for Kobo. So when you want to receive cash in name of a subsidiary, then you could get, let's say, a, um, yeah, a fake IBAN, basically, so that the, the counterparty can transfer to that IBAN, but the money still goes on the, the header accounts. But you are able to track who the money belongs to. Oh, okay. And that's it. You see, there's, there's different ways. It can be just a current account in your accounting system where you manually say, okay, this was coming from this entity. I book it on there. It can be based on, on payment instructions or payment information that you give where the system can then automatically recognize, oh, this was a POBO for, um, for this subsidiary. So I will book it there. It can be virtual accounts. There are uh, a lot of solutions in the markets. Okay. And so just uh, for the sake of it, because I know I struggled a lot with this notion when I uh, started my consulting life in treasury, current accounts, can you quickly break down what that is? Because I, I link it with bank accounts, but it's not really the same, right? So it's within a company. I know I'm, I'm the one who used the, the, the term in our conversation, but can you, can you please break it down? Yeah. So a, a current account in for Pobo Kobo, it's actually, it's an in-house bank account. Okay. It is just the bank account or the position account that you keep between the header of the Inas bank and the subsidiary. So that's in, in terms of Inas banking, a current account. Okay. So it will be an account. So a, a numerical writing in the system, the software you use to register all your payment transactions saying, okay, this entity, the header made that payment for this amount in this currency on behalf of this entity. So therefore this entity owes that much money when settles once per month, what per year, whatever. That's yeah, absolutely super clear. So payment on behalf of, we have a group with several entities. There is one that is, that would be the header. I guess it's like very central, so a finance uh, entity probably that execute payments on behalf of other entities, the subsidiaries to enable all the benefits that you named at the beginning of the, of the episode. Clear. Kobo, uh, we quickly touched upon it, um, but I guess it's the same, but in reverse, right? You, instead of executing payments, you collect uh, money and that enables again, cash centralization, visibility, and yeah, savings in terms of bank account required. That's a proper summary. Absolutely. That's indeed uh, a perfect summary, Guillaume. (laughs) There is maybe one thing to mention here. It's that sometimes we have Kobo or it is called Robo, receipt on behalf of, but they they actually mean the, the same thing, but depending on which company you are at it, sometimes they use Kobo, sometimes Robo. Okay, so I didn't even ever heard of this term. Um, so Robo, why would you, I guess there is a small difference, right? Otherwise there, there wouldn't be two different terms. What would be receipt exactly? Receipt on behalf of it, it's the same. So okay. it's like a collection, but you just get a, get a receipt. It's a, a different wording for the, the same item. And of course, if there would be anyone listening that says, okay, there is a, a small nuance, uh, we'd, we would be happy as well to, uh, yeah, to get the background and information. Perfect. Enlighten us. Leave a comment in uh, the section of this uh, episode or on LinkedIn directly, and they're happy to take it. <laughs> awesome. Maybe now entering in technicalities of it. Pobo Kobo be set up regionally or could it be or can it be worldwide? How does it work exactly in terms of region you can cover? It depends a bit on the, the structure of the, the corporate. It can be worldwide, but it can also be regionally. And it, it really depends a bit on um, how is the, the globalization of the company? How many countries are you located in? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, also the, the local restrictions? It isn't possible in every country to set up an Inas bank or to perform Polo Kobo. It's also not always allowed. Like um, some, in some countries, tax payments and salary payments, they must come from a bank account located in that country. So, um, giving an answer to the fact whether you have to do it at a regional level or a worldwide level, it's a bit nuanced, let's say, and it really depends uh, case to case. And, and that's why there are, of course, a lot of consultants um, helping on this and working on this so that whenever you have, a, you have a question about this, that they can always guide you in the right direction, taking into account the, the localization of the company and also, of course, the, the tax requirements and so on. That's... Um... Interesting point. Why, I mean, do, do you know why would certain countries say, look, if you want to execute salary payments and um, tax payments, it needs to live from a bank account located in our country. What, what would be the rationale behind this? Yeah, it's actually a, a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so I would need to. 
No, perfect. It, it was just out of curiosity. Um, because why would they probably to keep the cash within the country? That that could be a, a reason. It, yeah, indeed. In in China, it's it's mainly the reason indeed to keep cash in the country. Okay. They have a very strict, um, let's say, currency policy, indeed. and for them, it's yeah, they they don't like to give away control. So they don't like when money is flowing out and in of the country, and they want to know what is happening. There are, of course, for in-house banks, which again, not really Pobo Kobo, but there are um, yeah, cross-border solutions, but that's always a bit more more technical and complex. But mostly it's indeed that there's a, a tax reason behind it, a currency control behind it. You see, it, it really depends a bit and you always have to thoroughly investigate why something can be done or if it cannot be done. It can also be um, that you have, let's say, uh, a tax treaty or um, with the government, you have an agreement on something and that's why for you, it becomes, yeah, more beneficial to be in country A instead of country B. Okay. That's, that's super interesting. Okay. So we could imagine that restriction would be more or less linked at least to the countries where the currency is also restricted. So to, to name a few, you, you had China in mind. I'm thinking about quite some countries in uh, Latin and South America, mm-hmm. those are economies where currencies are restricted and therefore those types of uh, practices would be less easy to set up. Or even impossible. Yeah. Okay. Correct. And that's the perfect transition. Then, in terms of locations, um, is there any that's up by corporates to set up the in-house bank? Uh, well, of course, here focusing on Pobo Kobo, uh, also interested into the in-house bank aspect. But first, where do you want to put your Pobo Kobo center exactly? If it's regional or worldwide? Again, here it depends a bit on where is your let's say your company located. First of all, you'll always take a location where you have a a company. If let's say you have uh, subsidiaries or you have your entities in Belgium, the Netherlands, the UK, you will probably not set it up in Germany unless there would be a significant uh, tax benefit or a reason why you would do it. So it it depends. And then secondly, it also you look mostly at where is my my treasury team located. A lot of the time, your treasury team is located in a location already for a specific reason. Okay. So it makes sense to to check there. Uh, is it worthwhile to? to keep your, your treasury center there and to also set up your, let's say your Inas bank or to start doing your Pobo Cobos there. Makes a lot of sense. I guess that would be linked to yeah, tax and regulations, right? You want to have treasury centers where operations are execute, potentially you centralize certain cash. So that's where you, you would like to focus your treasury centers. Yeah. Correct. Um, and also if your, your Inas bank, for example, would make a profit or a loss, you want to see, of course, uh, do I pay taxes on that? Yes. And yes or no. And where is most beneficial? That's a super interesting point. Those an in-house bank, because I guess the in-house bank is, uh, its main function is to support the business, right? So how yeah. would it make benefits exactly? When an in-house bank, it, it depends. You have an in-house bank, um, which can have several functions. It can be just purely an in-house bank that is supporting cash pooling, Bobo Cobo, but it's not taking on any fixed risk, any interest rate risk. So you can okay. push it down basically to your subsidiaries, but you can also make it bigger. And then, uh, yeah, you're coming in a situation where you're saying like, okay, the Inas bank will be taking over the exposure from the subsidiaries. And there mostly the Inas bank will get paid for that. So they will get a, a small margin or the interest on your Inas bank position might be yeah, increasing a little bit. So depending on the function of your Inas bank, it could be that there's a different interest rate. That's and with that interest rate, it could be that your Inas bank is, uh, let's say, earning a bit of cash. Okay. That's amazing. Even if you are at arm's length, as we, we said earlier, uh, actually, that would be the reason. Because you are at arm's length, you're also meant to make benefits when you lend money to one of the subsidiary and you will collect the interest. Yes. Super interesting. Is there, is there such a thing as management fees for an in-house bank or is it, is it not something common? Um, well, well, I have not seen it uh, a lot. Mostly it's, it's embedded in, let's say the, the premium that is asked on the Inas bank position. Okay. But I would imagine that it could be needed as a management fee on top of it. That's super interesting. Okay. So treasurers can actually make money within the company. Ah, are there any substantial cost savings, uh, when it comes to Pobo Kobo? You, you mentioned that you could have, well, you could save on the bank accounts that you don't need to open for certain subsidiaries. What are the more like overview of the quantitative aspects and benefits from having a Pobo Kobo structure? Yeah, the, the main benefit, of course, will, will lie, as we discussed at the beginning already, in the fact that you have a, 
yeah, there's a need for a lot less bank accounts. And you can do a lot of cost saving because you have less accounts. You could do your FX hedging, let's say, at an you know, bank level. So euro subsidiaries with US dollar payments, they can all be made by the Inas bank. And then they can make sure in the market that they're fully hedged against the exposure, for example. So it means that you can get better pricing on your uh, fixed transactions. You don't need, if we talk about six subsidiaries, you don't need six US dollar accounts. Or with a euro account, you can just go to your bank and say, I need to make a dollar payment. But then the spread on that will be yeah, very high. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly, yeah, that are the, the main cost savings that you can have thinking about uh, Pobo Kobo. And just think about it. Uh, doing less transactions, you can close a bank account. You don't have to make your fixed rates. If you're a, a large multinational, this amount can yeah, start adding up very quickly. That links to the fact that you need to probably reach a certain size, right? Before it becomes interesting. It's because you are centralizing everything that you do not have to open multiple bank accounts and so on. Is there, I mean, should company reach a certain size before the Pobo Kobo structure becomes interesting and or profitable in case they would make a little bit of profit? But let's maybe just focus on the, what are the requirements in terms of size in the first place to set up a Pobo Kobo structure? If you want, you can do it actually at, at any size, eh? even a, okay. a very small entity could do it, but then there will probably be a lot of manual work behind it, mm-hmm. but you could indeed set up a structure even with, with let's say uh, 10 entities, but it makes more sense once, once you can start leveraging uh, the systems in the background. Yeah. So once you can start using a, a payment factory, a TMS, um, a large scale ERP system, because that is the point in time that you can start working on a centralized team that is managing all those transactions. And that's when you can start leveraging technology because a technology investment is not always that cheap. It costs a lot of money. So then it becomes interesting to say, okay, I want to put Pobo Kobo in place with the automation behind it, especially because if done right, there's a lot of scalability afterwards. If you do a lot of M&A or if you open a lot of new uh, subsidiaries and it's implemented in the right way, it's almost plug and play basically, which okay. saves you a lot of money. And it, it, yeah, it is also a lot of, let's say time savings within all the different teams. Okay. You touched upon um, a very interesting point here, which is the, the team involved because so we, we mostly think about treasury team, obviously, but when it comes to payments and even collections, that, that might be a different team, right? Within the organization, there is definitely an account payable team, probably an account receivable team when there is such a need. So what kind of teams are typically involved and or helps on the Pobo Kobo setup and tenants? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You're right. So um, it's not like the treasury team is going to, let's say, book the invoice and then going to pay it. So that, that's not how it works. If you look at, at the, the P2P cycle, an invoice is coming in from a vendor, then the AP team is taking the invoice and it's, it's making checks. It's starting with... Do I have everything I need? Do I have a VAT number on the invoice? Is it to the right company? Is there a PO number, a purchase order linked to it? Was it needed? Yes or no? They will make all those checks. They will then book the invoice internally in their system, probably put it out for approval. And then once approved, it will be the AP team mostly that will initiate the real execution of the payments. But they will say, okay, these are the payments I need to do for this entity. And then depending on how your system is set up, it could go to a, uh, let's say to yeah, a payment factory or to an ERP system that is then sometimes if you want to do Pobo, even automatically recognizing like, ah, but wait for this entity, I don't have a bank account in this currency. So please pay from another bank account. But the initiation stage there mostly is done indeed by an accounts payable team. Okay. Super clear. That makes me think of a. Uh... So we talked about netting on the podcast with, uh, with Craig Chapman, and we were looking at intercompany netting mostly. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop myself from thinking that there must be something linked here. Um, I guess Pobo Kobo will only be for external payments then, or do you include the netting cycle in that? No, mostly um, it, it's really for external payments. Okay. As you mentioned, if you have intercompany payments, um, that will mostly happen via indeed a netting module or it just happens over the, the current account without netting, but just lots of cashless settlements. You can settle in cash. You could say, I need to pay them 1 million euros, but instead of moving the cash and having to pay for a transaction, you can just say, we will settle it cashless and we will put it on the current account position. Okay. The current account that we mentioned before, that's 
keeps position and like uh, a record of what happened between each entity. So there is at least a record somewhere of who owes what uh, and in which quantity. Okay, without entering into too many details, because I think we, we touched upon it, but what are the, the common tax and legal implications of Pobokobo? You, you named it. There are some countries where it's simply impossible, um, but will there be some countries where it's possible, but absolutely not uh, profitable from a tax perspective? I'm thinking like cash centralization might be an example of that, right? In Latin America, for instance, you can, you can actually concentrate cash and have cash pool structures, but then you will pay a small fee for every sweep, so every uh, fund transfer you will do, so it makes it uh, non-profitable and therefore not operable. What are the implications uh, in regards to this for Pobokobo? It's mostly, as you mentioned, it's mostly tax-related. So sometimes tax payments have to be made locally. Or um, there's an example like Japan, where it's very complicated due to legal tax restrictions to implement the Pobo. Okay. So there you, you really have to see like, okay, what are we going to achieve? What is my business case behind the implementation of Pobo in Japan? And is it worthwhile doing it? Similarly, in China, if you want to... Um, in China itself, you can yeah, put up a cash pool. That's no problem. But if you want to repatriate the money to, let's say, uh, the US or, or a different continent, it becomes a lot more complex. There are a lot of rules behind it. Okay. You can do cross-border cash pool in there. I'm not even talking about Pobo Kobo here, but just about just getting cash in and out of the country. So there there are, with free trade zones, there are some, yeah, some solutions, but there are strict rules behind it, which you need to, to take into account. So every time you want to implement a Pobo Kobo or a cash pool, um, especially in uh, Asia and in Latam, indeed, it's, it's very important to, to make your business case and to check, is it worthwhile, yes or no. In Europe and the US, yeah, you see it as a consultant probably a lot as well. The, the market there is relatively flexible. Pobo mm. Kobo, it's getting yeah, more and more accepted and done, especially by the, the larger corporates, because there is a real benefit behind it. But if you go to, to Latam and, and, and Asia, you really need to make your business case to see, okay, what is the benefit of implementing Pobo for my entities that are located in, uh, in Asia and Latam. Makes a lot of sense. And so if we, maybe if we detach ourselves from the third parties that are the governments uh, that will, well, impose this regulation and tax, obviously, I'm wondering if there is any implications uh, from a third party standpoint when I'm uh, I don't know, I, I want to collect money from the corporate that has a Pobo, stru Pobo structure in place. I will expect probably a payment from a bank account in my own country, uh, where the one I operate in, but then a payment from one of the treasury centers that is set up completely offshore or abroad. How does it work there? Is there any concern or things to keep in mind as a third party? Um. Mostly what you do when you have, uh, let's say, a new relationship with, uh, with a new client, you exchange information between each other already up front. This is more, let's say, yeah, more what accounting is doing in your ERP system as well. But you, you set up in the master data of all your different systems, which can be in ERP, it can be in TMS and so on and so on. You set up the client and at that point in time, if um, you need to pay them money, they will, ask for, they will ask you, okay, what is the bank account that you will use? And where will the money come from? Okay. And that, that way they, they know basically when they set up in their systems, they will set up you as a client. They know, okay, they gave us this account information because most of the time as well, they will ask for an account detail signed by the bank. So basically, can you give the evidence that the bank account is in name of the entity? And at that point in time, you'll have to say like, okay, but my entity is called ABC. But the bank account I will use will be DEF. So at that right. point in time, you will already disclose that you will be using a, a different bank account. Okay. And from your, from your experience, that's not something that triggers, um, that maybe that's not the correct word, but like puzzles uh, the, the clients. They're like, okay, but so what is happening here? Because, I mean, anti-money laundering and like uh, frauds, combat whatsoever is, is quite a concern for a lot of uh, corporations in those days. So does, does that not raise questions when like, okay, you're going to pay me from DEF whilst I'm dealing with ABC? Or is that completely seamless once you've done the due diligence and you've explained the whole process from your experience? Yep, it should be relatively seamless at that point in time. Of course, if you, you start using uh, bank accounts like from Cuba or Iran, it's a bit <laughs> of a different story, but even the bank you will be executing the payment through, they will already say like, okay, what's going on here? But okay. normally in, uh, let's say in Europe and in the US, this, uh, yeah, it's not a real big issue. Okay. 
super clear. You you mentioned it for Japan um, in regards to what's key is the the setup, like how to probably install the Kobo, Kobo structure. How does that even work in the first place? Because you mentioned TMS that is linked to the ERP. You usually need a payment factory, which uh, for our audience, the, the term we sometimes use on the podcast is the payment hub. So it's a, an additional software to the, to the TMS that makes the link between the treasury department and the banks. Usually it's, a, it's one of the tools that is in the bank connectivity. But so how do you set up all this? If you say, okay, I'm a big corporate. Now it's definitely worthwhile. Um, I've made my business case. And we need Pobo Kobo to achieve significant savings and also operational efficiencies and so on. How do you technically do that? Let's yeah. There are real complex ways to do it, but maybe to to simplify it a little bit. Yeah. Mostly you have in your your payment hub, as you call it, you have some sort of trigger or a rule that is recognizing that you're doing a pobo. So it's, first of all, you have your, your technical system that you're building. And whenever your business case is made, you will need to identify saying, okay, for these entities, I will apply these rules so that the system knows automatically it has to use a diff different bank account for a payment, for example. And I'm sure that there are people here, there are people listening, implementing uh, payment hubs and payment factories that can give a lot more detail about it. But mainly it's based upon rules where you say like, okay, this entity needs to make a payment. And based on the rule, it will identify if an, uh, yeah, their own bank account will be used or if another bank account has to be used. Can it be that you set up a rule for an entity, but you set it up only for certain payments? Like you say, okay, we're going to execute POBO, so payment on behalf of from the header for this entity, not for all the payments. Or once you set up the rule, it's for all payments, regardless of what goes out or how does it work here? Yeah. No, no, you're right. You could say um, mostly different type of types of payments are being recognized as well in the system. And so you can indicate whether it's a an urgent payment, a non-urgent payment. Um, if it's in the UK, for example, a BAX payment, there are a lot of different types of payments and you can identify them. Like payroll is also yeah, clearly identified. Tax is mostly identified. Urgent payments are identified. So based on that, you could build a rule that is saying if it's this type of payments, then indeed execute via a POBO. But if it's a salary payment for, let's say, tax and legal reasons, I need my own bank account, then just use your own bank account. Okay, sorry. And so what are the, the next steps when you want to... So once you've set up the rule, what are the next steps in order to set up properly the Pobo Combo structure? Yeah, in, uh, in the next steps, first of all, you will need some sort of Inas bank account or some sort of setup to be able to yeah, to keep track of the Pobo Combo positions between the the corporate and the subsidiary you're making the payments for or you're receiving the payments for. So yeah, we can go very technical here how, how it's done in, in specific TMS systems, but mostly it's just, again, in the system, a rule that is recognizing the bubble, even from the bank statement, for example, which is immediately saying based on those rules, like, okay, I know that this payment is done for entity ABC, put it on the current account of ABC. And then behind that current account, there will be probably an, uh, an accounting setup, which is saying make entry debit one, two, three, credit four, five, six, so that it can be interfaced towards a um, ERP system. And of course, in an Inas bank, the setup goes a bit further because you can have yeah, interest settlements. So you can do monthly, quarterly. What is the interest? Is it uh, Uribor plus a margin? Is it uh, something else? All that kind of stuff can, of course, be completely customized and set up exactly to the purpose of the, the corpus. You would have potentially interest payments. Mm. What if, can this current account, based on the Pobo Kobo structure, so I know about transforming a current account into long-term loan because it's been so long that within the cash pool structure, one entity was borrowing more than it was lending, so it turns into a long-term loan. Can this happen also the Pobokobo structure or do you just settle the current account automatically? Um, no, no, it also again depends here on uh, how the setup is done. Okay. Pobokobo will create the intercompany positions, but if indeed at a given point in time, and that's again uh, a tax uh, discussion that you need to have, you're seeing that your injury is having a, yeah, a borrowing position of over X amount for X amount of time you could decide to, to convert that current account position indeed into a more long-term uh, position. And that's an important difference. 
where you pay interest on your in bank, but there's a difference between the short term that you would do, the short term borrowing, or when you would really have a, a long term structural borrowing position towards the INAS bank entity. In that case, there are different arm's length principles because different benchmarks should be used. And in that case, yeah, you have to use a different, uh, different interest rate. And for that, it should be normally in your treasury policies around the INAS bank, including the Pobo Cobo structure. There should be a policy to, to review these positions on a, a regular basis. Absolutely. Could you have, could you have also, I mean, integrated in all this, the, the cash pool and the cash centralization structure? Because one entity keeps on paying on behalf of the other, but do not collect, for instance. So we just have Pobo, not Kobo. Well, one company will be short of cash at, at some point in time, right? So, mm-hmm. but that will be not so much the case anymore if the collections of this entity also goes to the header, because I guess it will be the same entity, right? That you set up, the same entity would execute the payment on behalf of the subsidiaries and would also be the cash centralizator of a cash pool structure. Or am I completely misunderstanding here? No, no, that's right. You could indeed um, say that you're making all your, your payments out of that. Uh, that central bank account, but also the collections for that same subsidiary yep. could arrive on a, it doesn't have to be the exact same account, but it could arrive on an account held by the in-house bank. But it doesn't matter if you're paying from account A and receiving on account B, both in the hands of the in bank header, you mm-hmm. can put it on the same current account if you want. So paying 100, receiving 80 would give you a position of 20. I have a bit of a stu- stupid question, but... So let's say you set up Pobo Kobo, you set up a cash centralization structure in, uh, in a country where you have very little tax or legal implications around this. As a subsidiary that is involved in this, both those processes, those three processes, Pobo Kobo cash centralization, you even still need a bank account then because if you have everything sorted out for you at the central level, uh, can it be? Well, mostly um, every legal entity requires a bank account in its own country just to be able to basically set up the, the entity. So I see the idea where you're going and yeah, technically speaking, if you, if you look at it, it could be that you barely use the bank account, but there will always be um, a bank account linked to, to each legal entity. I, I tried to go uh, to the extra mile in terms of uh, like, you know, quantitative savings and optimization, but it seems that I'm, I'm restrained by the tax and re- legal regulations. But fair. Okay, going back to the to the setup. So we quickly touched upon the different um, software and technology that is required behind a, a, a Pobo Kobo structure. But so maybe just to summarize, um, you will need obviously TMS, so a treasury management system that would enable you to set up the in-house bank in the first place, right? The Pobo Kobo structure is part of the in-house bank. Mm-hmm. You need the ERP where you will have all the accounting entries, which means you want to have a proper recording of all the accounting statements and what is happening accounting-wise for the centralizator, sorry, the header and the subsidiaries participating into a global structure. And last but not least, you have the payment factory, so the payment hub to actually send the payments, right? And actually in payments, uh, in files, batch payments, because you can centralize this as well. Is my summary correct so far? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Anything else you need to, I don't know, can you have like additional third-party systems or vendors that could, well, enhance the whole structure or that could circumvent the need of a TMS or a payment factory for smaller structures? I don't know. Is, is there such a thing? Yes. Yeah. You, you don't have to do it in-house. You can also do it. Um, certain banks offer as well, Pobo Kobo solutions with virtual accounts where they are in your name actually keeping track of all the positions and uh, making sure all the payments are executed in the correct way. Awesome. Okay, so you have, I know of BMG who does uh, the netting process, for instance, but you have also banks that could do a Pobokova structure. Okay. You have to take into account that they can do the, let's say, the the netting if needed, they can do the Pobokova, they can keep track of the accounts, which you can always access one of the positions, mm-hmm. but the accounting behind it will mostly need to be done by yourself. Yeah. Okay. Plus, you might lose certain benefits of the Pobokobo structure in the first place because that is having it in-house and not leveraging any bank, so minimizing the fees and so on. Yeah, but that's a solution. Okay. 
Well, I was going to ask what's the role of external banks when it comes to Pobokobo, but I guess one of them could be, well, we do the Pobokobo for you. What else? Because you have your in-house bank, you have your current accounts where most of the magic happens, but then you still need to, well, send a payment from a real bank account, right? Any other implications for external banks? No, I think that that's the main point where you mention it. Whatever you do, you'll always need a bank or an external bank because you're going to execute your payments and the bank is a part of executing payments, basically. No, okay. So uh, there's no way around that. You'll always have to, to do it. Yeah, and I guess you have the FX rates or like the exchange rate when you need to convert currencies in case you have a bank account on behalf of an entity, but you don't have the denominated currency or certain currency that you need to potentially do a, a spot. Super clear. I'm a bit curious. Um, we try with Usam to get uh, more and more fintechs and emerging technologies and innovations uh, talked on the podcast. Is there any new digital solution or emerging technologies that can further develop Pobo or are we at the submit the state of the art in terms of Pobo already? What, what's your view on that? No, no, I think there's still, uh, let's say, a lot of room for fintechs to get to provide and to develop solutions for all type of different corporates. It, it's a bit like in the, in the TMS world as well, different mm -hmm. vendors, um, different, let's say, advantages and disadvantages, and also different sizes. Not every company fits with a, with a certain TMS and it would be the same with the fintechs that they most likely, well, not most likely, but actually most of the time, a lot of these, uh, fintechs, they're really focusing on a specific market, a niche market, for example, like looking at trade finance, um, looking at mm -hmm. FX trading and that kind of stuff. So there, I think there is still some room there to yeah, to facilitate the process and to make it more standardized. If you look at it, at a big TMS system, the whole setup, it takes a bit of time and it needs to be well incorporated with your banks, with your ERP systems, with your payment hubs. But on the, the fintech side there, I think, especially for not the huge multinationals, but for the, the companies right below that, there could be indeed uh, a room for fintechs that are yeah, providing a more plug and play solution for corporates that are not looking at a, at a full developed Inas bank yet. Okay. So somehow uh, a third party that will arrive and just set it all up you and uh, takes on the whole implementation, if there is any, and plug and play, as you say, rather than having a whole team of consultants or even some sources within your company that needs to set up the whole thing, program the proper interfaces and make sure everything is working. Or the other possibility is the, the bank that does it on your behalf, but you want potentially to have something in-house yourself. You have to look at uh, what is the advantage for your corporates and uh, what can fintechs in the market, what can they offer you as a corporate? And most of the times the fintech, they could have, let's say, it's, it's a more structured and standardized procedure. So probably less room for customization, but mm -hmm. that could also be a benefit. Not, not everybody needs a super complex uh, setup to perform Bobo exactly. in, uh, in their corporates. Okay. And I guess it's, it's a little bit less linked to Pobo per se, but, uh, you also have this real time payments that now it's a thing, right? Um, those payment tracking solution, I think Swift is, uh, is working on the GPI. Well, actually it's, it's live and, and working already, but not all the banks are connected to this specific solution, but I guess anything that enables faster payments, uh, faster reporting, um, payment tracking and so on is also something that's indirectly, um, help developing Pobo or at least enhance it, right? Yeah, I think if you look at the, the key drivers indeed, what would help um, developing the, the Pobo Kobo marketplace, let's say, mm -hmm. it's, it's first of all the globalization. So there's a, a lot more, yeah, especially corporates are getting a lot more um, suppliers and, and customers in a wide variety of locations. So probably you need in all those locations, you need legal entity, but you don't want the bank account for every currency in, in all those locations. So I think globalization is, is a key driver. Secondly, it's the importance of liquidity. So especially in, let's say, the, the current markets, people and, and companies are really starting to understand how liquidity works and why it is so important. And here it goes hand in hand with the fact that also treasury is being more and more acknowledged as a, a really important function within, within a company. Mm -hmm. Previously, treasury, yeah, we were put a bit, let's say, in just generally in the finance team behind uh, the accounting team and nobody actually knew, hey, uh, the title is treasurer, what, what is he doing actually? 
yeah. but now it's becoming more and more important and it's getting its more individual position or place next to the finance department. So everybody yeah, understands the importance now of, of cash and liquidity. And I think that's, that's helping yeah, a lot as well, eh? because liquidity and cash is being managed a lot more closely. So people are also looking at those opportunities to optimize that and to get cost savings. And that's where then Pobo Kobo comes in because it makes it a lot easier. You can get savings like uh, less bank accounts, cost reduction, cash visibility, better risk management, centralization of control, all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, that's one of the, the key drivers, in my opinion, as well, why now Pobo Kobo is becoming more and more, let's say, standardized in the markets. That's, that's super funny that you mentioned this, but I couldn't be more true. We had um, recently an episode with the, the thought leadership of TIS. We were discussing the, the strategic role of uh, the corporate treasury function and the corporate treasurer as a, as a role. And it's super interesting to see that, yeah, so first of all, cash is king. And uh, actually, who is managing the cash? Normally, in the most efficient way, well, it's in the corporate treasury department. We, are, we had this talk about the data around cash flow forecasting, especially in a period like 2023 or uh, in the, the, the COVID phase, right? You want to know where your cash is, when it will come in, when it will go out. And with the evolution of technology, you want to have access to this data because it allows you better decision-making. And with the very recent of the Silicon Valley Bank, for instance, we have, again, this whole risk management and financial risk management function that is becoming more and more strategic, um, having a proper counterparty risk management, uh, wallet sharing. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Well, I have to say, treasury is trendy, right? Uh, lucky us, because we have a corporate treasury 101 podcast, but <laughs> couldn't couldn't agree more. Laurent, I believe, um, so before you, your function at uh, Punch Power Trade, you were a consultant, right, in treasury as well. We like to highlight or use an example uh, of the topic we discussed on the podcast. Could you maybe walk us through, anonymized, of course, a use case or an example of the Pobo Kubo structure that you have implemented for your clients? And what I would like to understand here is everything we discussed, basically, how did you set it up and why did you do it this way? What were the benefits for the clients, qualitative and quantitative? And um, yeah, was it fun? I think it's important as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, indeed. It, it always has to be fun. So absolutely. Um, yeah. We, we have a few examples there because I've did quite some, uh, some in bank implementations, which go hand in hand with the, the Bobo Kobo mostly. Mm -hmm. And maybe as an example, we can go to, to one of my first clients as a consultant when I was just starting in, in the treasury industry and on my side as well, didn't even understand what is Pobo Kobo, what is Inas Bank. But I got thrown in immediately, of course, with uh, the whole setup of Inas Bank, which didn't exist yet at that company. Perfect. So at the beginning, of course, we started with, um, I was scoping what would be in the Inas Bank, what would be part of the Inas Bank? Would it just be some, some loans? Would it be cash pooling? Uh, and in the end, it became quite a large Inas Bank with, with some pooling opportunities, with some, uh, some intercompany loans there. And of course, with, uh, with Pobo Kobo, mainly Pobo, to be honest, but, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite large in, in our bank already. And we had to develop it from scratch. So that goes from, uh, setting up the structure to linking all of the different systems that are, yeah, that are needed in order to, first of all, recognize a Pobo, get it in your, in your TMS system, execute it via payment hub. So we really started from scratch there with. Basically setting up, okay, who is the, the main entity in the CNAS bank and who will be all of these subsidiaries taking part? So that was the, the first step, really checking like who can take part of the CNAS bank. Once that is done, of course, it's the development of yeah, the current accounts because they all, it's a name, it's a bit like a fake IBAN, but you have to give them a recognition point. So we started with developing a, a very standardized naming convention. So whenever a no subsidiary would be onboarded. They can just follow the same naming convention and it would be clear for everybody. Basically, if you're looking at the position of the Inas bank or the position of the subsidiary, um, then of course we had to get the, the Pobo payments. So together with the, the teams of the, of the company itself, we started developing transmission files and an interface between their ERP system and then also the, the TMS system so that we could recognize the Pobo cobos and that we, we could execute them. There, there are always, let's say, two ways. You can either really go through your TMS to recognize the Pobo Kobo and to execute it via the TMS, or you can say like, okay, no, I will execute directly from my ERP to a payment hub, and I will just send a message to my TMS system to let it know like, okay, look, 
um, I made a forward payment. Please book it on Lina's bank, create the necessary accounting entries and so on. Because yeah, of course you need that information, not only for your Inas bank, but also for your bank reconciliation, potentially you might need it for forecasting. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why you want the information, of course, to be available in the, the TMS system. Yeah, I feel there is, so there is the whole setup, but there is also the importance of the information and proper tracking, right? It's not only, mm -hmm. okay, we do it, but we also can properly report on it, uh, have real-time information and be able to yeah, manage the after payment on behalf of who paid what to which entity. So this whole dimension of like transferring the information from one system to another, properly tracking and reporting seems quite central in the setup of a Pobocobo. Yeah, absolutely. It's, the, it's really the, the treasury technology that plays here a lot. It's building the interfaces, making sure you can transmit files from system A to B. And especially as a, as a consultant, I think the treasury technology landscape is, is very interesting nowadays. It's, it's developing very, very rapidly. There's like you mentioned, the fintechs, a lot of new players in the market with very interesting solutions. So as a treasury technology consultant, you always have to stay up to date and you have to know what is playing in the market to see the solution that we present to clients. Is it still best fit for them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. In terms of benefits, qualitative and quantitative, um, what happened for this specific use case? For the clients, it was mainly important to, yeah, to basically have a, a good visibility there on what is happening? Mm. Which loans do I have between my intercompanies? Which polls am I um, am I executing? And then going further, more to the Inas Bank, it allowed them to automate the full um, interest process. So interest calculation, interest posting, and sending all those entries towards your ERP system is something that was yeah very important for them, and that gave them a lot of benefit and time savings because in more advanced DMS systems, there's a lot of uh, scheduling behind it and automated jobs. So going from a very manual process, it is now really a process that, that could be done 50% more efficient just because of the fact that we had some automated jobs behind it. You could get your market data automatically in the system. Interest rates would be feeded. Everything else was coming from the ERP system. So your interest calculation at Montend was just basically a validation and a control that there were no, no mistakes made. And then everything else was almost fully automated. So for them, it was really a, a time saver for the team. It could mean, of course, less FTEs required to manage um, a treasury, mm -hmm. but it could also be like a treasury team being fully overloaded, finally getting room to focus on other topics. Be more strategic uh, topics than executing payments. Awesome. I, uh, that's a question I didn't ask actually, but what's, what's the typical timeline of a project, of an implementation of a Pobocobo structure? Like how much time does it take typically in your, in your case, but also in general, I guess it will depend on the size of the project, the company and so on, but more or less an idea. Very difficult to put a, a timeline on that. So it can be neat from a few months to even a few years, if you want to cover multiple regions and you have to do it step-by-step. Step. So yeah. as you mentioned, depending on, on the size, um, how broad do you want to use the Pobocola structure? Are you just doing Europe or are you doing Europe, uh, LATAM and, and the US, for example? But it could really take from a few months to uh, yeah to a few years even. And again, if you are in uh, how to say this, uh, not complicated location, but more regulated, and where you need to properly do your benefit case, and then decide to move forward with it, but then it's it might be more cumbersome in certain countries to set this up than in in others. So I guess it's it very much depends on the scope. Mostly, um, there's a, let's say a banking rationalization ongoing in parallel as well. If you do it in as bank, you will mostly set up a new cash pool structure which starts already with, with checking your banking partners, who is going to be linked to that, to that cash pool. Um, what is my benefit case? What will my savings be? So you see it's a, yeah, it can be a, a lengthy process, but it can be a, a very important process to keep control over your uh, treasury function. Obviously, yeah, and you might close bank account, right? Which is also one of the, <laughs> the first benefits of the bubble goal. So obviously yeah. that's one of the exercises. Super clear. Wow, Laurent, thank you so much. Um, anything else you would like to add on the Pobo Kobo that we, that we didn't mention so far? Um, no, I think we already yeah, discussed quite broadly what Pobo Kobo is, what it does, how it can be used, what are some, yeah, some, some real use case. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think we touched upon the, yeah, the key items without, hopefully without yeah, going in too much detail. So everybody going from starting treasurers or starting treasury consultants to more experience that they, they, yeah, they have something uh, yeah, they can get something out of this podcast. 
Absolutely. So, uh, of course, always happy to, to further discuss more details and to make the use case more detailed. But I think for now, we have discussed uh, whatever people need to know. That's awesome. And yeah, I think um, we have something else locked, right? So we discussed the arm length and the transfer pricing. So, but that mm -hmm. will be <laughs> another episode. No, thank you so much. That was indeed super clear. Um, and yeah, so I mean, from my perspective, well, I, I mean, I'm in treasury, but I don't know much about Kobo Kobo. So that was super insightful. Uh, thank you very much. If people would like to know more about you or Punch Power Trade, where should they go? I think the quickest way would be to, first of all, to know more about me, the, the LinkedIn page. So uh, my LinkedIn page, if they want to know more, for example, about Punch Power Trade, there's always the, the Punch Power Trade website where they can get all the information that they need and they can get, yeah, let's say, a glance of what we do, how we do it, and where we do it. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the description of the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Guillaume. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast series.